Um, as Andy says already, we're continuing our series in the, the book of Isaiah, so we'll turn there in a second. Um, I want to start by thinking about the, the issue of kind of service or, or servanthood, because um, I think we all like to be, to be served well, um, and, and we like to be served well in, in different ways in life. And, you know, for the startup team, we spend a lot of our time in McDonald's. Uh, it's just, we just find ourselves there having meetings because it's, you know, it's kind of warm and comfortable and they serve hot representations of food. So, so we spend a lot of our time at McDonald's and it's funny because you start to get to know some of the staff at McDonald's and, and that's a scary time of your life. You never want to go there. Um, and you can tell, you start to tell what sort of service you might receive um, by who's standing behind the counter. So if you, if you get there and you know you notice that the person's, you know, they wear all those badges, those little badges, and you know if somebody's got a one star or a zero star, things could go a bit ropey today. You know, you're going to get a, a knife to eat your porridge with, or your, your hash browns are going to come out all mangled and cold or something. Whereas if you get a five star, you're like, yes, this is a McDonald's ninja. They will, they will serve me excellently. Um, and, and, and you start to see this, this variation in servanthood. And and that's kind of a trivial matter, isn't it? You know, McDonald's breakfast isn't the biggest issue in the world. But we take it seriously when we get to issues like politicians and people who govern our country because technically and ultimately they're still servants of the people, aren't they? They're employed, they're, they're paid for by the people. And we, we get discouraged and dismayed when those sort of servants are corrupt somehow. You know, self-seeking or self-promoting or just in it for the campaign trail, but then actually straight away they're... They're back to their own goods and their own, their own means. So servanthood and service is a, an important thing to us. Something that we're all, we're all concerned with. Our passage today, um, Isaiah is going to be talking into that issue of what would, what would God's servant look like? If God was to have a right-hand man, someone that was to do his work and be his representative, what, what would he look like? Who would that be? Let's just set the scene a little bit of where we are in the book of Isaiah. So, as we said, we've been we're preaching through this book, 66 chapters in it, and we reached chapter 42 today. And uh, if you're new, don't worry, we've not been going one by one. We're going to be dipping in and out. So, chapter 42, where are we? What's going on at this time? So, we said Isaiah's preaching roughly 700 years before the time of Jesus coming on the earth. So, 700 BC, give or take. And at this point in the book, he's, he's preaching from Jerusalem, and he's essentially telling uh, the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judea surrounding that you're going to go into captivity. There's this nation called Babylon. They're going to come from the east. They're going to take you away into captivity. But more so than that, he, he continues to prophesy throughout the book that but actually God's going to take care of you. Even in your captivity, he's going to take care of you. And Isaiah prophesies even further into the future and he starts talking about how the people are actually going to be brought back from their captivity. And, and he ends up talking about a character in the chapter just preceding 42. So if you're, if you're at maybe um, Isaiah 42, flick back to 41. Um, in my Bible, it's page 601. I don't know if you're using a church Bible. What page number is that? 601? Oh, amazing. I love it when that happens. So it, in the chapter preceding where we're going to be today, Isaiah talks about this, this kind of servant character that's raised up. 41 verse 2. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step. He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, 
like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. We get this image of this, this kind of conquering mighty um, leader who's coming to, to smash nations. And we find out later on in, in chapter 45 that this is somebody called Cyrus the Great, King Cyrus of, of Persia. And if we flick, I've got some images. So, Oh, we missed that one. This, this is Jerusalem being taken into captivity to Babylon. And then we flick on another one. This is, uh, this is Cyrus. Um, he didn't actually have four wings. Um, that's kind of a, an image representation used as a symbol of him. But this was Cyrus the Great, a great and powerful Persian king who after the, would come and eventually smash the Babylonian Empire and bring the captives back to Jerusalem. So Isaiah's prophesying way into the future about the servant. And, and this was a powerful guy. You know, he had lots and lots of territory by the time he was ruling. You know, all the way from, I suppose that's modern-day Turkey, all the way through to kind of Pakistan region. A big, big empire that Cyrus would control. And so that, that poses a question. Is this, is, this the, is this God's servant? Is this the type of person God uses and raises up? And... Does this reflect God well? Hmm, we wonder. Let's, let's go into the passage we're into today in, in chapter 42. And we're going to stick in the first seven verses because it's so rich. Just we're, we're going to stick in those first seven verses. So page 602. And we're going to start reading um, at chapter 42. So the big 42 you can see. And we're going to start there and it'll be up on the screen as well to follow along. So it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. My chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So Isaiah is giving us a description of God's servant, of, of who the servant is going to be and what he's going to be like. So, so what is the servant going to be like? What, what does he look like? What's, is there any clues as to who this might be? Well, it's clear that from the text, it's someone really, someone really precious um, to God. Someone really uh, that's special to God. Verse 1, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. You know, someone that, that God has, has upheld, that, that he, he chose. It's not just someone who kind of made the grade or will just do or kind of functions for that. No, it's, God chose him especially as his servant. More than that, it's someone whose God's soul, his, his very inmost being, delights in. You know, we all like in our employment or our life to kind of be praised by our managers, perhaps. You know, you get your yearly review and you go, yes, I got an A star, whatever you get. And, and it feels great, but... But this is the God of the universe delighting in his servant. This is someone really precious to God. And in addition to that, it's someone that God will even place his spirit upon. 
you know, God's spirit, the, the communicator of his love, of his presence, that is going to rest on this servant. Even again, verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. This is God holding the servant close to him, dear to him. The servant is very precious to God indeed. And, and who is this servant working for? Well, it's going to be none other than God himself. You know, if you need any more of a declaration... Verse 5 says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and what comes from it. I used to be um, employed by the civil service. And, and even though I was a, a lowly civil servant and you know, not so powerful and all the rest, I used to have a badge and, and my name on it and my picture smiling away. But my badge had the, the queen's symbol, you know, the crown, the, the crest. And and wherever I went on, on company business, I kind of had a sense of, well, pride about it, but also authority. That even though I was lowly and diminutive, that behind me was, well, it was the queen. You know, her, her office, her power, the royal throne. This servant has the creative, the universe, as his master. This servant has the God who stretched out the heavens as the one he will serve. So someone dearly loved by God and someone... Um, someone who will represent this creator God. So who is it? Is it, is it just a continuation of Cyrus? Is this Isaiah waxing lyrical about this great king? Is it someone else who's going to be a, a sort of a political ruler of some sort? Okay, cat's out the bag because we call this whole series the Jesus trailers. That's a bit of a giveaway, you know, the Jesus bit. So, so this is Jesus. Is Isaiah prophesying 700 years before Jesus came to the earth? Is, is he telling us about the type of servant Jesus is going to be? And, and are we barking up the wrong tree? Or what evidence do we have for that? Any, any proof, any ideas that this could be what Jesus is going to be like? Let's go to two places to see if that's the case. Uh, we're going to skip into the New Testament and into the book of Matthew. And it's going to be up here on the screen, but follow along if you want. Uh, the, the first I want to draw us to is just kind of a really close parallel. A really close parallel as to how uh, the servant is introduced and how Jesus is introduced. And we find it in, in Matthew 3. And Jesus has gone out at the start of his ministry. And he's gone to John the Baptist and said, I want to be baptized by you. I want to go into the water and come out again. And Matthew records this incredible scene that says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. That's out of the waters of baptism. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I don't think we do have to do too much linguistic gymnastics to kind of separate that from the start of Isaiah 42. Let me read it again, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Here's, here's God in the New Testament talking about Jesus Christ having just been baptized and saying, this is my beloved, this is the one in whom my soul delights. And we get this image of the Holy Spirit as a dove coming down to rest upon the person of Jesus. So, okay, that's, that's a really close parallel. That's a really close indication that this could be Jesus. What more? What more could we have? Well, we go to Matthew 12, still in uh, Matthew's gospel, as he's talking about the life of Jesus and what he did. 
And at this point in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been healing lots of people. In fact, he's just healed a man with a withered hand. And, and every time he does this, he keeps telling them to kind of just stay quiet. Don't say too much. Don't go blabbing about this in the street. And realizing this, Matthew points back and basically quotes word for word Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it together. Uh, verse 15 of Matthew 12. Jesus, aware of this, uh, that was the, the, uh, the rulers trying to kill him at the time. Uh, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet isaiah behold my servant whom i have chosen my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased i will put my spirit upon him i'll save the rest but you kind of see the similarities here this is this is matthew having seen the person of jesus knowing isaiah 42 and saying uh yep this is the same person, the servant of God, prophesied by Isaiah. This is fulfilled by Jesus in his ministry. Okay, so we've got an idea of who God's servant is as prophesied by Isaiah. It's, it's going to be Jesus. But, but what is this servant going to come to do? What's, what's his work? What's his activity um, as God's servant? I don't know if you noticed when we, when we read chapter 42 and verses 1 through 4, there's kind of a, there's a definite sense of what he's going to come to do. You know, some of the words used. Let me see. Verse 1, end of verse 1. He will bring forth justice. Uh, verse 3. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4. Till he has established justice. There's kind of this, there's no ifs or ands or buts or maybes or he's going to try his best. There's, he will. Whatever this servant is going to come to do, it's going to happen. He will make it happen. So there's this assurance of what's going to happen, but then what's the scope of it? Where is it going to be? And again, end of verse 1, justice to the nations. And verse 4, justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This isn't just going to be, uh, this isn't just be Jerusalem or Judah or the, the Middle East. This is going everywhere. You know, nations, all nations of the earth. This work, this servant's work is going to be done. To every coastland, and, and that word can sometimes even mean islands. This is going to, everywhere, this servant's work will happen. And it's going to go everywhere. Okay, so, but what, what is this work going to include? What's, what's the servant's mission? What's he coming to do? Three things we want to pick up on. You've heard it already, but in verses 1 to 4, it, says, it talks about justice a lot. Justice to the nations. Bring forth justice. Justice in the earth. So something about the servant's work is going to be to do, to do with justice. And then as well, in, in verse 6 and 7, we get a sense of what else. He's going to be a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. From the prison, those who sit in darkness. So Isaiah is making this incredible prophecy of the type of work the servant is going to do and how he will accomplish it. And we get to the time of, of Jesus, 700 years later. And what were the people after? What sort of servant did they want? You know, the nation of Israel at the time really wanted a Messiah. They really wanted a deliverer. But more than anything else, I think they wanted a, a really mighty conqueror. They kind of wanted a, a massive, strong military leader to ride in on a big horse with a sword in his hands and smash the Romans. 
Because that was their problem. You know, the Romans had come in, taken over the whole area and were subduing the, uh, the nation of Israel. So they wanted, they wanted political deliverance. They wanted um, that sort of sense of physical deliverance as a nation. And then Jesus turns up and he seems to come and bring so much more. As God's servant, he seems to come and bring heart deliverance, spiritual deliverance for the people. So how, did, how does he accomplish that? What does he carry out? Well, we see Jesus bringing justice in, I think, two ways. He brings justice because, because he brings a truthful representation of God. He says, all these, these images, these perceptions, this confusion you've had about God, no, I, I come to represent God, and, and that is just, to know the one and true God. And he brings justice in, in a bigger sense as well, because, well, the world is, is corrupt, and because of our sin, because of our, our hatred of God, our dislike for him, then, then, well, sin has to be paid for. And God brings justice to that equation by sending his servant who would ultimately die in our place, paying the way for sin and making it possible for people to come back to a knowledge and a love of God. So God's servant in Jesus is going to bring justice. He's going to be a light to the nations. As he, as he works and lives in his, his life, he's going to be a light to the people around him, telling them, look, look, this is what God is like. And the desire is that we, like moss, would be attracted to the flame of Jesus. We'd be amazed at his light and say, yes, all this, this blindness we've been in of, of searching around and thinking, where is God and what is he like? Suddenly Jesus appears. Ah, yeah, there's the light of the world. And he brings... He brings prisoners from the dungeon. Now, we, we don't read of, of Jesus releasing physically people from dungeons. You know, he's not around smashing chains up or kicking in doors all the time. So what does God's servant in Jesus, what, what does he bring in terms of releasing prisoners? And again, in a spiritual sense, Jesus comes to recognize that actually we're all prisoners. In, in the spiritual sense, we've got chains on it and we're in dungeons, we're in darkness, and we don't even realize it because we're such lovers of self and we love our own kingship and we love our own worship that, that we're chained and bound up in that. And we, we don't even recognize it. And Jesus breaks into the world as the light of the world representing God dying in our place and says, come to me. And slowly our hearts are turned from our love of self and they turn to God through Jesus. And he takes us out of that darkness and into a relationship with God. Into, into the relationship with God that we were created for. So God's servant he will accomplish his task. He will, he will do it to all nations on the earth. And he brings justice and light and deliverance. So God's servant gets the job done. But how is he going to do that? Is this a big task? And Is he going to be like a Cyrus? Is he going to come in and smash nations before him? Is he going to be like a, a politician who's sadly sometimes out for himself? What, how is he going to accomplish this work? Again, Isaiah gives us some clues as to, to the character and the way that the servant is going to carry out God's work. For a start, he's, he's, going, to, he's going to have to represent the God who, in verse 5, gives breath to the people on it, that's earth, and spirit to those who walk in it. This is creator God who, who stretched out the heavens and the universe and I made billions of stars and tiny little comets that one day we could land a tiny little spacecraft on. 
But he made all this, and yet he was so gentle and careful that he would give breath and life to every single person upon it. So if God's servant is going to represent God, if he's going to do God's work, then then he's going to be like this. He's going to be as gentle and caring as the God he serves. So what do we see in the passage that tells us about that servant? Well, verse 2, coming back to what we heard in Matthew, that he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So this servant isn't going to be, you know, Mr. X Factor, 15 minute of fame. He's not going to be trying to tweet a thousand tweets a day, getting as many followers. He's not on YouTube trying to get as many subscribers as he can because it's, it's not about his popularity. It's not about his fame as such. And we see that lived out in the life of Jesus. And we're confused as to why, why do you not want people to know about all these miracles time and time again? Surely that's, surely that's what you want. And sure, Jesus would, would talk to crowds. He, you know, he taught a whole sermon from a mountainside. He had 5,000 people he fed one day. He had crowds of people there, but it was never about just his own prestige. It was never about his own uh, fame, if you will. He was always wanting to, to speak into people's lives to say, look, you're in spiritual darkness, and I want to turn you back to God who has sent me. He didn't want a frenzy around the healings. He didn't want crowds just coming for the miracle maker for quick fixes and a bit of fame and then off again. No, he wanted people to hear and know the one true and living God. So the servant is going to come and he will get the job done, but he will do so in such a way that is is not self-seeking, that is not shouting or screaming in the streets like others might be. What else? It says in verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I mean, these, these are kind of very rich images. And let me grab my, uh, my reed that I brought. And it's, it's not the world's best reed. But, but this is my image of a reed, you know, kind of tall, grassy thing. Um, and you'll guess I'm no gardener as well. But, but this was uh, lifted from the, the gardens of McDonald's um, on, um, on Friday. But this is my image of a reed, kind of tall, grass-like, bit of fluffy stuff at the top. And... And it looks really impressive, and it looks, oh, I suppose, pretty in, in a kind of how um, tall and slender it looks. But the moment you, you bruise a reed and you kind of just break it ever so slightly, it just goes limp, doesn't it? And it's, it's fragile. And you know, even now, I, I don't kind of want to move it too much because it's tender, and it, it might break apart. And then he also gives us this image of this faintly burning wick. And I'd love to show you a faintly burning wick, but fire alarms and extinguishers, etc. I don't think people in the pool would like to be raced out because I, I uh, set the fire alarms off. But just imagine a faintly burning wick, you know, a candle with just the slightest puff of smoke coming from it. Just barely any heat. No flame, just... And Isaiah gives us the, these images and he says a servant is, is not going to trample on these bruised reeds and he's not going to extinguish this wick. And what are they? They're... Well, I think the bruised reed represents, <clears throat> represents people, represents us, that, that we are, we're bruised, we're fragile people in this world because we, we take a beating as we go through life. And we can be faintly burning wicks in that we have barely any love for God, any desire for him. In comparison to his great love for us in sending his son to die in our place, we have fickle hearts that barely have a spark for him. 
And as I says, God's servant is not going to trample on these people. He's not going to extinguish uh, their faith and hope. And we see that in the life of Jesus time and time again. Yes, he was harsh with people who were against God and rejected him. But for so many, he was, he was gentle. In, when they were weak in their faith, when they, the way they stumbled, when Timothy and doubted and, and Peter rejected him, he, he gently corrected them and brought them back and reminded them that he loved them. So God's servant is going to get the job done, but he's going to do it in God's way. Unlike a, a conquering, smashing king or a boastful politician, I shouldn't say that too many times, but he's going to get the job done in God's way, representing God's character. So what do we make of the servant? Are we, are we amazed by him? Are we surprised by what we find in, in what Isaiah says? Would we have designed it completely differently ourselves? If, if we were going to have a servant for God, would it be more like a, a conquering king or a politician? I hope that perhaps as, as we read Isaiah's prophecy of the servant, as we see Jesus carry out that servanthood role and fulfill those prophecies, that our hearts are warmed. That we're just excited about God's servant. That we're drawn in. And, and if that's you this morning, then I would say, don't resist that but but just lean in lean in and, and get to know jesus get to know him as god's servant who who faithfully represents his master who faithfully carries out the work and has brought justice to the nations and i think as well we we have to remember well we have to remember our place in this story we see we see that that the servant and in verse four that he will not grow faint or be discouraged He's the one that will bring justice. He will, he will, he will bring justice and do the work in the nations. And as verse 4 tells us, he, he won't grow faint and he won't be discouraged. He's not going to get tired. Discouraged can be, another word for that is bruised. So un, unlike bruised reeds, he's not going to get bruised. He's not going to be affected by the storms of life. So if that's a servant, then who are we? We we are most definitely those bruised reeds. We are those bruised reeds and those faintly burning wicks. We are those people who, who going through life are just bruised by what happens, the, the illnesses, the, the frustrations, bereavements, the upsets, the loneliness. We're bruised and we find life so tough and it's difficult. And emotionally we can be drained. And we're those faintly burning wicks that barely have any desire for God in comparison to his love for us. Our hearts can be so fickle and we, we want our own uh, love and praise at times. So to recognize that we're not in the servant's place, but rather we're the bruised reeds and the faintly burning wicks. And, and the incredible thing about the servant, and this might seem preposterous and weird, but, but recognize as well that the servant came to serve us as bruised reeds. That Jesus came to serve us. And that feels terrible and it feels strange because if we know Jesus and we love him, we're like, no, 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 we, we, come to, we, we want to serve Jesus and we love him. And, and that's true, we do. We, we love him and joy and we want to give our lives to him. But ultimately, he is God's servant that gets the job done. And in doing so, he takes care of us as bruised reeds of faintly burning wicks. So if that's us this morning, if... 
if we just feel low in spirituality, our, our, our hearts are barely burning for God. And, and instead of busying ourselves, instead of trying to work up some sort of spiritual fervor or, or greater knowledge of him, then, then understand what Isaiah tells us about servant and tells us about Jesus. That he's the one that carries us through life, as Bruce reads. And he's the one that, that nurtures us, nurtures us as those faintly burning wicks. And all we need to do is lean into him, enjoy him, press up against him. And that faintly burning wick will turn into a passion and a desire for him. So God's servant gets the job done in God's way. And we simply need to enjoy him and lean in to that servant. And if we had any doubts about about the servant, about what he was prepared to do in, in, in his representation of God and his, his faithful um, ability and service to bring about justice, then we look no further than the cross. We need to look no further in the fact that Jesus gave up his life, gave off himself physically, bodily to die in our place. And that's what we do as, as we take communion. Uh, communion is just a, a simple remembrance meal and Basically, it occurred because the night before Jesus went to, to die, to be crucified, that he gathered his disciples for, for a meal that they would celebrate once a year normally. But in the middle of the meal, he took, he took some bread and he took some, some wine. And he said, this is my body and this is my blood poured out for you. As symbols of what he was about to do on the cross. And he said, remember me. When, when you take of these elements, when you share them as a meal, remember me. Remember that I came as God's servant, that I brought justice, that I am a light to the world and take people out of spiritual darkness. Remember me, enjoy me. And, well, don't think that you're anything more than a bruised reed, but in, lean in to the person of Jesus. So that's what we get the chance to do this morning, to take communion together, to have that simple remembrance meal. How that's going to work is we've got some, some grape juice and some bread up the front and a table up the back as well. And in a moment, I'll, I'll finish up, I'll pray, and we'll just take a moment's silence to, to pause, remember, thank God for his servant, thank Jesus that he accomplished what we cannot accomplish. And then Andy and the, uh, Holly are going to come up and they're going to sing for us, and um, by all means join in, but otherwise just listen to the words of of a God who, in his servant, Jesus Christ, humbles himself. Humbles himself to take care of us and to accomplish what we cannot. Let's pray and, and take communion. And if, if you're new to church, if you don't know this servant, if you don't love him, then by all means, just don't worry about it. There's, there's no pressure. Just let the, uh, let the emblems kind of pass you by and there's no need to take part. But just think upon that God would send his servant for you. Would die in your place. Let's pray and thank God. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your prophet Isaiah and how he tells us about your servant. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you always have. And when you came to earth, you did. And you always will be that perfect servant of God the Father. We thank you that um, as a servant, you, you will accomplish uh, what God has given you to do as a task of bringing justice, of, of being a light to the world. Thank you to accomplish that, but you won't do it by crushing us and people because we're fragile, God, and you know that. Instead, help us not to, 
to be fearful of you or, or reticent towards you, but just to lean in and enjoy you and to embrace you. Lord, we thank you uh, for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that you went in our place to accomplish what we could never do. By our works and our good behavior, you, well, you said they were foolish. And by your death, you made a way possible for us to know God again. So we thank you and we praise you for that. And as we take the bread and the, the juice this morning, we just say thank you. We remember you. We celebrate you in our hearts. We praise you, Lord God. Amen.